Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. The innovation of our security bundle came out of discussion with payments companies that said, we want to bring something that's a value because there's a certain percentage of our customers that will never become compliant. But what we do want to do is give them tools that at least they're aware if there might be a vulnerability, if there's a malware or some sort of vulnerability that might result in a breach. That was Bill Wade, the CEO of Company.com, and he is our special guest this week. This is episode 65 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. And hey, before we get started, if you happen to office in Houston, Austin, or North Texas, check out Fuse Workspace, where their mission is to help others do more. Check them out at FuseWorkspace.com. Okay, back to the show. Bill grew up in Connecticut and was a professional drummer before hitting it big in the payments industry. He was recruited by Marriott Corporation out of college and spent a decade with them in the executive program before shifting into sales and mortgage banking, eventually making his way into the payment space. Company.com now provides resources and services to business owners. While not serving the payments industry exclusively, because of Bill's previous decades of experience in payments, it has consistently been one of Company.com's top priorities. According to Bill, the single biggest differentiator for Company.com is their focus on the overall user experience. With several members of his team coming from a payments background, they have an in-depth understanding of the industry's competitive nature as well as the importance of differentiation. A continuing payments trend, according to Bill, will be the progressive advancement related to the speed of transaction settlement, as well as increased opportunities for businesses with solid technology backgrounds to effectively address the user experience. Bill is tremendously appreciative of the team members he's had over the years and is excited about helping more companies find and take advantage of opportunities moving forward. His advice to newcomers, be innovative, be scrappy, and work hard. We've got a great episode today, so let's get started. Hi, Bill. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for hosting me today. This is uh, exciting, and I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here, too. So let's dive right in. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Sure. So I actually come from a a kind of a lengthy history in the payments industry. I got into the business in the late 80s, early 90s. Prior to my kind of entree into payments, I grew up in Connecticut and ultimately moved to New Hampshire, attending UNH. In the early days, just kind of as a little bit of a you know kind of personal background, I was passionate about music. I was a semi-professional drummer and did studio work and played in rock bands and stuff like that, which was certainly kind of a vision and a dream, but like many, it didn't work out so well in terms of being able to monetize that as a lifelong dream. So in the interim, I was going to school, studying on hotel and uh, restaurant management. And after a couple of years at UNH, I got recruited by Marriott Corporation, which got me pulled into the Maryland, D.C. area, which is where Marriott Corporate is corporately located. After going through their executive program and finishing up with that gig, I moved into kind of the sales and mortgage banking market, trying to figure out what was going to be my passion and my dream after that realization that 90 hours a week in the hotel business wasn't really that enthusiastic. (laughs) So uh, 
that led me, you know, slowly into the payments industry. I got introduced to a program called the Impact Credit Card Program, which means the International Merchant Purchasing Authorization Card, which was really the first kind of quick payment methodology that the federal government used to help businesses get paid quicker. If you look back in the history of time, even small purchases could take six months, a year to get paid through the federal government agencies that procured services. And the impact program was a way to kind of accelerate that process. So as I learned about the payments industry and the card issuance business a little bit, my initial focus was to naturally being in the DC market was to focus on that impact program and to pursue merchants that did business with federal government agencies. It was exciting and there was a lot of growth and opportunity there. And that led me into really learning more about the transaction business and focusing on that dropped out of the mortgage industry, which I had a mortgage company with my business partner. And we focused solely on the payments business after, you know, kind of swimming in it for a year or two. The business at that time was Network One Financial, which was kind of a traditional ISO that had a transaction switch that we developed to kind of support ACH recurring billing and ultimately kind of integrated payments, which is now kind of what we know as ISV integration and payback. And uh, so we're one of the early players to do that. And kind of worked in the data security area like CyberCash and some of the earlier players in that realm as well. Ultimately, I merged that business with a company I co-founded uh, called Barris in 2002. And that moved me to Nashville, Tennessee. And we built that business up through organic growth and leveraging our gateway platform and acquisition. And that business ultimately sold to Sage Software in 2006. We had acquired seven ISOs and done a lot of portfolio purchases and built out added technology. And the appeal for Sage was that we had competency around integrating software to payments. And that was something that was attractive to them, which kind of made that deal work. And Sage moved me to Atlanta, which is where I reside today. And, you know, it's been a, a fun journey in the payments industry. Um, after about 11 years of Sage owning what was Veris Financial prior and Sage Payment Solutions after, Sage ultimately kind of spun out their payments business in North America, which became Paya. They just spun out their European payments business last year, which was acquired by Elevon Division of U.S. Bank. And Paya, just in 2000, merged with a SPAC and became a publicly traded business trading at $1.3 billion. So really kind of great to see that journey for the business. But also it, that journey led me into different geographies in terms of living and I met my wife in Atlanta and we live in Atlanta, enjoy the Southern living life. So nice, nice. So obviously you have a, a quite lengthy payments background, but you decided to move in a different direction with company.com. So maybe explain how that payments industry fits into what your current venture is now at company.com. Yeah, that's a great question, Greg. Thanks. So while I was working at Sage, the CEO of Group, which was the publicly traded company in Newcastle, England, he ultimately tapped me to start a reseller initiative to basically upsell and cross-sell, just like their intention was with the payments business, across their six plus million customers globally. It was really from a, you know, kind of a transactional thesis and a business model. Um, everything about it made sense. What was hard about it was that with 50 product divisions and so many acquisitions, I couldn't tell you how many Sage had done over the preceding three decades. The hard thing was getting all the other stakeholders that had their day job and were focusing on verticals like Timberline, which was in the construction business with ERP and CRM products. Getting all those divisions on the same page 
was was a difficult thing. But the learnings of that was that it seemed that there was really a great opportunity to basically navigate a business that could basically take advantage of big customer bases that had a singular focus that could increase wallet share and value to their customer base by adding and bolting on additional services. So, you know, kind of going in another tangent, I get this question a lot, and that is, how'd you get the brand company.com? I was kind of fortunate in some regards to have the itch to basically invest in private equity over the course of time. So as my business network one and Veris had monetization and equity events, we would basically allow shareholders to take money off the table. And what I did quite frequently is find great teams and people and make investments. And one of the investments I made was in a company that was fortunate to make an acquisition that had a whole bunch of URL brands. So those were brands like company.com, software.com, application.com, programming.com, et cetera. And I'd asked as a board member and a meaningful investor of that business that I asked the team to basically earmark that company.com brand for use in the future when Veris ultimately sold, which we did Sage. And so I had a this great brand that I was trying to figure out how to fill the shoes of. And I went to the CEO of Sage when I was retiring out of that business and basically explained that I wanted, you know, kind of early retirement, the ability to go into, you know, an adjacent business model and kind of ask for permission to take that URL and build a model similar to what we were trying to do in this upsell cross-sell initiative that we started together that didn't work out as we hoped and got a blessing to do that. And that became the beginning of company.com. So Company.com and its original roots was really focused on a marketplace of business services with an emphasis in social media and enterprise social platform, much like a Yammer or a Chatter.com or a Slack, and develop a, a set of services that could be upsell and cross-sell to companies that wanted to bring more value to their customers. So that was really kind of the genesis of Company.com and why we diverted away from Getting back into the payments business, I thought there's a real opportunity given the advent of companies like LinkedIn and all the kind of B2B social media companies that were doing really well with consumer. It looked like there was an open ground for kind of going into the business to business and kind of commercial side of that whole equation. Yeah. Okay. So are there certain verticals or markets that company.com serves? Yeah. So that's, you know, naturally the payments industry was one, although we didn't get into the payments business per se with company.com, having had decades of experience there and a lot of the company.com team, the payments industry and kind of peripheral type of businesses around the payments industry like ISV and banking and those sorts of industry sectors became a very attractive market for us to kind of use as a potential customer base. So payments is near and dear to our heart. And we focused on that as being one of the prime markets that we go after and service as a business. We also looked at, you know, more of the e-commerce and business to business organizational opportunities and markets. So whether that's payroll companies or business finance organizations or accounting firms, you know, any business that's got a deep contingent and small, medium-sized businesses are really an ideal target for us to bring value to. We also found success in going after maybe less obvious markets like retail. So we have had a long-standing relationship with Office Depot and Office Max. And in the early days before Radio Shack went bankrupt, we were actually bringing some ancillary services to Radio Shack for them to get into kind of the recurring revenue model of providing business services to their commercial clients as well. So we really kind of focus on B2B, but 
of recent as I get into a little bit in our discussion today, talking about areas that we really kind of hone in on, you know, very specific bundles of products and value that could bring either protection or added bandwidth and capabilities that businesses kind of need to hunt out. We really kind of found a special spot for us in the market. Okay. And how big is the company? We have about 450,000 businesses that have touched our platform, and we've got 50 or so channels that are from different walks of verticalization, so to speak. So we've got a very broad set of small, medium, and large distribution channels. And I would say that of recent being the last couple of years, the business has kind of evolved into a digital experience platform architecture where we have a lot of different value and feature sets that really kind of call to larger companies that require certain standards of security and stability for, you know, kind of addressing their customers in a SaaS or cloud-based business architecture. So we kind of made a lot of investment into making sure that we meet all the, the check the boxes, so to speak, of big enterprise. And our customers now are moving into insurance and utility and organizations that are brand names. Some are under confidentiality that we naturally can't talk about because they don't want anybody to know that their user experience is a company.com product that's their own. So mm-hmm. we, we respect that and, you know, just provide excitement around our team that we've got some great brands that are out there that are leveraging our technology to improve how they address their customer, bring products to them and monetize and bring value to their client base. Sure. And it sounds like you talk directly to a lot of merchants. And this is always a top of mind kind of question is given the pandemic that we're unfortunately still in, you know, hopefully we'll be out of it soon. But what are those merchants biggest concerns maybe before and after this whole COVID pandemic? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And one that I could answer many different ways. You know, first, and I think an important element to any business that is deploying services to small, medium-sized businesses is that if you don't talk to the customer and actually really do deep dives to understand what their needs and pain points are, then all too often businesses, and certainly it's an easy trap to fall into, you build stuff hoping that that businesses will actually adopt your product. And many times you're disappointed that you build a great product, but nobody wants it because you haven't really solved the problem. So to that point, you know, the one thing that we've maintained as a discipline before and after COVID is that we regularly talk to businesses, to merchants, to channels to basically assess what their pain points are and what things we can do to bring and enhance value. Before COVID, kind of on the payment side, I would say unrelated to us, and we've all seen this in the payments world that, you know, user experience and mobile and speed of transaction settlement and you know, kind of that user experience kind of reality are things that the companies that do that really well, that make frictionless, easy adoption for businesses to get transactions completed are the ones that are really leading the pack. So whether that's a PayPal or Square or Stripe, you know, you've got leaders that are really not payment companies, they're really technology companies that have done a great job. And I think that's the pre-COVID reality of of the payments world. And, you know, I think we could talk more about where the innovation in the future will go in that regard as well. As it relates to where company.com fits in, you know, before COVID, we were finding that, you know, there was a common denominator theme. And that was, we kind of had two customer bases. One is the channel that we do business with, and the other is the end user customer that's actually using our platform. So on the channel side, we found that businesses were looking for ways to add value and increase wallet share and reduce attrition. And those three tenants are core 
to kind of how we run our business and the things that we do overall. On the user side, businesses are trying to find ways to operationally improve their back office, do things more quickly and more cheaply than the way maybe the way that they have done it before. I think COVID, interestingly, has kind of raised two major areas that we've observed. One is lead generation businesses trying to get back to normal and wanting to grow again. So we basically have developed a, you know, what we call marketing sleeve of products that help businesses create lead generation and get leads flowing to them and improve their digital footprint on the web. The other, which I think is most relevant to the payments industry, is security and data security and being aware of things that might happen that would put them in a vulnerability. So I think while COVID has had a huge impact on the globe and on individuals' lifestyles and kids going to school and all the things that we all are living and kind of dealing with today, businesses are being poached on ever more so now than they were before COVID because of the vulnerabilities and the time that those black hat people (laughs) or companies or countries are trying to impose upon businesses generally by stealing data and stealing credit cards and doing the things that we all try to avoid as a risk and liability, particularly in the payments world where we've got temporal liability of the card brands for fines. So we have a security bundle product, which has been really embraced quite well, and it complements PCI programs. So we partner with PCI kind of auditor companies that are out in market and actually integrate them into our platform. And we basically bring a, a subset of services that typically aren't offered under a PCI compliance program that help businesses deal with phishing liability of emails that are trying to trick businesses and the consumer in the business to open up an email that could put a malware vulnerability within their network. Everything from dark web scanning to antivirus to tech support and kind of outsourced monitoring agent activity that lets the business know whether there's any kind of vulnerability that's going on if in fact they're using the service. So we found that one to be an incredibly great alignment and fit since COVID started. And we're seeing that product probably get more vibrant attraction and adoption than anything else that we're doing right now, particularly in the payments space. Yeah, sounds like you have a lot of tools that businesses could use, obviously. And what would you say, you know, you're obviously not the only company that offers a lot of those things, but what would you say differentiates you from the competitors out there? So I would say the big differentiator, as discussed before, is our focus on user experience, the purchasing and enrollment and boarding journey with an emphasis on innovating products and solutions that are either individually delivered or within product assortments. Many of our team members, as as I mentioned earlier, come from the payments industry. So we understand the competitive nature of the industry and what you need to do to differentiate your offering and your value proposition. It used to be that price could be the differentiator, and now it goes much beyond that. So our focus on cross-sell and upsell and removing the friction and the high cost and the discovery of things that can help a business and keeping them safe and providing lead generation, all those sorts of things have kind of led us into an area that, you know, we don't have a whole lot of competition and we, we've got a great kind of open field of opportunity in the B2B market and in the payments and fintech market. Sure. And you mentioned innovation earlier, so I'm sure that's certainly going to be part of your answer to the next question. But where do you see payments heading in, say, the next two to three years? Yeah, so that's kind of, you know, it's an interesting question because I think that when I started company.com, one of the reasons why I didn't go into the payments industry was that 
was kind of observing what was going on in market with technology advancement and how the payments world was really changing quite rapidly from the old ISO day, so to speak. So, you know, you look at, as I mentioned, Stripe and Square and PayPal and and others that are out there were now Payfac and, you know, ISV integration with companies like Mercury that got acquired by WorldPay. You know, there's just so much innovation that's happened historically that's all driven toward user experience, integration, and convenience for the merchant. I think we're going to continue to see advancements in the next few years related to speed of transaction settlement. You know, we've got instant settlement and real-time payments now that are that's starting to come into play with a lot of different industries. I think we're going to see a lot of opportunity for businesses that have got a good, solid technology background that can really take advantage of addressing that user journey and that user experience on the payment side. And I think that at the end of the day, you know, really the consumer drives a lot of the activity and the behavior and the pivots that, you know, payment companies need to go through. So blockchain and biometrics and augmented reality and future enhancements around that user experience and eliminating transactional friction. I think that those companies that can stay ahead of the curve and can actually innovate in a way that makes it really easy to address something that's relatively new or a complement to an existing process are the ones that are going to win. I mean, at the end of the day, nobody really wants to know how the sausage is made. They just want to know that it tastes great. And so I think that, you know, layering in some of these technologies are great. I mean, I, I will say one thing that we're really excited about is we've been involved with a couple of projects that are related to virtual reality and augmented reality in terms of kind of online e-commerce advancement to reduce returns and improve traction with consumers really being able to personalize their purchasing journey online on mobile. And so I think that there's a lot of things that are to come in particular with us and things that we can bring to the acquiring space in general. That's something that's very unique, that's IP protected globally, that will enable kind of advancement in areas that people wouldn't think about right now. These are technologies and kind of behaviors that are changing as a result of COVID. And I think that consumer behavior, even as it relates to retail purchasing versus e-commerce purchasing. There's a lot that we're going to see that retailers are going to be more leery to let people try in clothing and just, you know, put it right back on the shelf. And there's going to need to be enhancements on in e-commerce that make that return policy or return frequency much less. And so I think technology is really going to drive a lot of the future in the next, you know, kind of two to five years. Yeah. And you mentioned staying ahead of the curve. So beyond the augmented reality stuff you mentioned, what else is your company doing to stay innovative? Yeah. So I've said this a couple of times and I'll say it again as we talk to our customers and our channels, our ability to stay current with where we can bring value to our clients and our channels is really relevant to not only talking to customers, but getting feedback, testing, validating the hypotheses or the request for added services or a bundle or a user experience augmentation of what we're doing now. And then once we validated that and we've gotten a very strong response that we're on the right track, then we start building, adding that product feature, building that product feature, and then delivering it out to the market. And so a good example of this is, and I'll I'll give you a very specific kind of use case example, is that the marketing sleeve that I mentioned earlier and the data security product assortment, those two products seem to fit really well, not only in the payment space, but certain verticals 
that really just don't, they've got great expertise, but they don't have kind of the normal staffing to be able to do some of the things that they'd like to do. So as an example, the veterinarian space, by way of example, we met some folks that had been kind of the roll-up experts in that space where they realized that there's great opportunities to basically buy individual practices and assimilate them into almost like a payments roll-up model where you've got lots of companies that all come under either one brand or individual maintained brands and do shared services amongst those relationships. In that discovery process, we learned that the vet space is great at the professional service of the pet market and taking care of animals and doing all the things that you need to do to keep your cat and dog and horse and whatever else that you own in your house healthy, but they're horrible at marketing. Their idea of marketing and growth is increasing pricing and sending a postcard to a customer reminding them that their pet needs their next set of vaccination shots. So what's evolved and innovated out of there was a creation of a product after we had discussion with 15 veterinarians and front office managers and different folks that confront these problems and challenges of growing more rapidly, leveraging technology and the web and search and all that stuff. And we actually came up with a product assortment that really went front and center in protecting the veterinarian practice and helping that practice grow. And now we're rolling this out to the PE and venture capital firms that own 200, 500, 700 veterinarian practices. And they're basically rolling out in mass so that we can help grow those businesses and improve their reputation management on the web and all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of the thing, the types of things that we do to stay innovative and stay current is kind of learning where are we fixing a problem that might exist and might not as be as obvious as you would realize. But in that example, you know, it became very obvious that there's a real problem that needs fixing here. And unfortunately, the practices might not even realize that they've got a problem, but those that are trying to grow the business because they acquired them do. And they're the ones that kind of helped shepherd us in the right direction that we could actually create a solution for that problem. Yeah, I think that's a great example of actually listening and hearing what the pain points are and then actually finding a solution. Yes. And, you know, those are the types of conversations we love to have. And candidly, the security bundle that we've got really innovated out of the payments industry because we talk to companies that they've got an obligation to Visa MasterCards that relates to level one, two, three, and four PCI compliance requirements. And the requirement for merchants to be compliant at all levels have come and gone long ago where there's a requirement and the fines are heavy and the risk is large for those merchants that are basically vulnerable to a, a data breach. And so as we talk to our channel customers, the ISOs and the processors and those that we do business with today, as it relates to some of the challenges that they have, what we discovered is that this non-PCI compliance fee that seems to go up and up and up. I mean, there are some players out in market now that are $50, $75, $100 per month as a non-PCI compliance fee. It's a real vulnerability for the payments acquirer because there are the competitions out in field knocking on doors, looking at statements saying, look at how big that non-PCI compliance fee is. We can eliminate that fee and it becomes a poaching opportunity. And so the kind of the innovation of our security bundle came out of discussion with payments companies that said, we want to bring something that's a value because there's a certain percentage of our customers that will never become compliant. But what we do want to do is give them tools that at least they're aware if there might be a vulnerability, if there's a malware or some sort of vulnerability that might result in a breach. So we put this assortment of services together 
to serve several things. Number one, to bring value and protection to the merchant. Number two, to bring value and protection against card fines that the merchant might not be able to pay in the event that there is a breach. And then the third is, is increased wallet share. So while that fee is going up, it's a defensibility mode that when the competition is trying to poach that merchant because there's a non-PCI compliance fee that's present on the merchant statement, that when defending and keeping that merchant and competing for that business, the ISO, the acquirer, the bank, whatever that merchant acquirer entity is, can actually advocate to the merchant that we are providing you value for that fee. We'd like you to be compliant, but in the meantime, we want to make sure you're safe. You've got our security bundle suite that's available to you to help safeguard you, and you are getting value for that fee. But please, you know, take serious consideration to becoming compliant. And so it's really a great strategy from our viewpoint that was kind of shared with us from some of our bigger ISOs and clients. And that's how we innovated that product. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. So from aspiring drummer to CEO of company.com, anything about your journey in between that you want to share? You know, I would say that the journey that I'm so fortunate to have is that I've been able to be very, very lucky to find great team members and colleagues that work with me in a number of enterprises that I've worked with. It's always easy to say me, but you know, it really is a wee moment when you're building a company and you're expanding. So, you know, I have to give kudos and great credit in Network One and Barris in the early days and in today in Copy.com and a few businesses in between that, you know, it's not me, it's how the team comes together and works together to make things happen. So been very fortunate that the team members that I work with have got experience in search and AdWord arbitrage and digital media and social media and payments and financial services and all that fun stuff. But the reality is that we better able to kind of pull together as a team and take advantage of the opportunities as they are out there. And it's a fun journey to be able to, you know, kind of navigate through the unknowns and leverage the talent and pull each other up by the bootstraps when needed to basically take advantage of the opportunities that are in market. So that focus on the team and I think the focus on the we aspect of our company, you know, really what cultivates and comes out of that is tolerance and patience when things aren't going so well and success and high fives around the table and cheering with a glass of wine when we get deals done and we find success and we can really be something of a value and make a difference with the channels and the partners that we work with. So, you know, it's been an exciting journey. We're certainly not complete, but we feel like we're coming on some really interesting opportunities as we've been going through this journey of company.com. And as I've tried and I've said many times to people that know me is that company.com is such a great brand. It's been you know, a real privilege to try to fill the shoes of it. And, you know, we've made, say in California speak, we pivoted more times than we would have liked. We've made mistakes and fallen on our face and even talking to customers and getting feedback have put product and strategies out in market that have not worked. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that we've learned from our mistakes and we've cultivated and leveraged the things that we've done well with. And that's resulted in, you know, a great culture and a company that we're really proud of. And we're excited to be in business and surviving COVID. And we hope that we can help some of your listeners find a way of improving their customer user and engagement journey with our DXP or something as simple as let us help you with adding a security bundle to safeguard your customer and increase wallet share and defend against attrition. Sure, sure. So what are some of the things you're passionate about? Maybe pick one work-related thing and one non-work-related thing. So I would say on a non-work-related topic, you know, love traveling and 
exercise. So I'm, I'm an avid skier and, and luckily I've been able to ski a couple times this year despite COVID. So that's always fun. I think that travel shutdown has been a little frustrating for me and my family and my wife. We like to get out and visit family and friends and such. And COVID has had an imposition of that. So, you know, that's kind of from a personal, hopeful perspective. I hope that COVID gets in our rearview mirror so that we can go back to that normal. That would be great. On the business front, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that I'm most excited about the company.com story. I think that we've got lots of opportunities in front of us that we've yet to discover. I will say, though, that from an aspirational perspective, I've been involved with a company that has been innovating some technology to help with Alzheimer's and dementia and Parkinson's disease. And we've come through some breakthroughs as it relates to a process and an algorithm that in trials is showing to have a dramatic improvement of memory and cognitive improvement for those that have got, you know, challenges in that area, up into and including, we're hoping, removal or diminishment of plaques in the brain that impact Alzheimer's in particular. So really excited to see, you know, a team that I brought an investor group into that we put some money behind that they're making some great inroads in that regard and nothing better than being involved even if it's from a board and passive perspective seeing something that could really make a big impact on people's lives so really excited about that you know kind of as an ancillary professional non-company.com related activity but it's exciting yeah yeah sounds like it so you've been in and around the payment space your entire career so what advice would you give to someone that's just starting out in payments be innovative, think out of the box, and be scrappy and work hard. I mean, it's, you know, it's the, the tenets of success. I mean, I would say if there's one thing that I've observed as being the differentiator in people that start in the payments business or other businesses for that matter is that tenacity and working hard and being smart and learning from your mistakes all are all credit to success. I think in the world of payments that we're involved with today, I think that it's important to take into acknowledgement some of the things that would have an influence on your success. And that's going to be user experience, technology, and just be aware of enhancements that are happening under our feet, such as real-time payments, where I think that even a year or two from now, it's not going to be a 24, 48-hour ACH payment that businesses are going to be accustomed to and demand. It's going to be instant payments. So when you settle your terminal out, you're going to want your money in the bank in 15 minutes. And I think, you know, if you're entering in the payments industry and you're trying to find ways to differentiate yourself is to stay close to being aware of what's going on and then you know build your business model and your business case and your business if that's in fact what you're doing to basically take advantage of things that are happening that can impact how a customer would be attracted to you. Well, Bill, we've covered a lot of ground about you, about company.com, about the industry as a whole. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I would just say that I really appreciate you hosting Company.com and myself here today. And I know that you've had some great leaders and payments that have participated with you and have given you their, their mind share on current and future evolutionary impact of the payment space generally. And I'm thrilled that you were willing to include me as a participant in that same group. I think if anybody is interested in learning more, we've got a partner page on our website at www.company.com backslash partner, I believe is the URL. Love to hear from you and see if there's ways that we can help any of your listeners. And if anything, provide feedback and soundboarding to help friends and colleagues in the industry. Sure. And we'll include that URL in the show notes so people can get to it easily as well. That's great. Well, listen, Greg, I 
congratulations to you. You've got um, you know, a great podcast here. I think a great success for somebody that's had a great success in the payments industry. And as I said, thank you for including us. We're delighted to uh, share some of our story and, and our background for the benefit of your listeners. And we thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate you being on the show and I know your time's valuable. So thanks again for being here. You bet. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 